Hi, and welcome to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, welcome. Thank you. You know, uh, we've been doing this series on heaven, and uh, it's been fantastic. We had a great time last week. This week, we're going to be going in an interesting direction, yeah. because I bet people can't even guess, but you're going to be talking about, <laughs> in essence, in some respects, politics, but more importantly, governance. What will that look like in heaven? Yeah, you know, how many people think about heaven as nothing but relaxing? I'm going to be retired for all of eternity, and we're not going to be retired. So if you like doing nothing, you're not going to like heaven. You're going to find out what we're about. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we look forward to that. So join us in just a moment with Dr. John Newfeld right here on Truth and Life Today. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about politics. I suspect for a lot of people, it's not positive. And I've got a quote here from uh, comedian Russell Brand, and he made the following statement, so I'm reading it here. He said, I've never voted. Like most people, I'm utterly disenchanted by politics. Like most people, I regard politicians as frauds and liars, and the current political system is nothing more than a bureaucratic means for furthering the augmentation and advantages of the economic elites. <laughs> well, I don't know, that's quite a mouthful, but I don't know whether or not that reflects you, but I suspect what he is saying really does reflect a lot of people. I mean, I think from a biblical perspective, we know that God has put you know, politicians in there by his own design and will, but we also know that we live in a fallen world, and in the world we live in, the word today, you're acting like a politician, is never meant as a compliment. And so we know that that's the case. And so some of us might be saying, well, praise God when we get to heaven, you know, we're not gonna have any politics there. Well, I think I'm about to give you some bad news if that's what you think, and it may seem surprising. I have a primary text, and then I'm gonna read a number of other texts, but let's listen first to Revelation 22, verse five, and it speaks about the age to come. It says, and the night shall be no more, they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and, hear this, they will reign forever and ever. Now, they will reign, or we can say they will rule forever and ever, or they will govern forever and ever. Governance that goes on without end. Now, you're wondering whether or not I've played this too far. I mean, is this one verse really going to become, you know, the basis for a theology of what happens in heaven? Well, let me read to you a number of other texts that speak about this very same thing. Let me start earlier on in Revelation, uh, touching on here, Revelation chapter 2, 26 to 27. It's the words of Jesus to the church in Thyatira. And here's what he says. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Now, now just to put that verse into context, first of all, that verse is a quotation from Psalm 2, verses 6 to 9. And Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It speaks about the time when the Messiah rules, and it says the Messiah, when he comes, will rule all of the nations with a rod of iron. The idea of a rod of iron is that he comes and rules them with force. There's no opportunity to opt out of the government of Christ. But here in Revelation 2, Jesus takes the words that are given to him, he is the Messiah, and now applies them to the people of God, to the people who follow the Messiah. They will rule with him over the nations. Now, just so that we understand, I think that's referring to the time that we know as the millennium. 
there is coming a day after Christ returns that he will reign over the earth for a thousand years and he will rule from Jerusalem and in this rulership, he will call all the nations to obey him. And says Jesus, if you follow me, if you're faithful until the end, I'm also gonna give you the right to rule along with me. Well, that's fascinating. We can go forward to Revelation 3.21 and this is a word to the church in Laodicea. Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That is, you will reign with me. You'll cooperate with my rule and actually exercise your own dominion on my behalf. Well, that's fascinating enough, but now listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 19, 28 to 29, and Jesus told his disciples, these things. He said, he said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, a part of what Jesus said here is in relationship only to his 12. He says that they will sit on 12 thrones, they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel, but then after speaking specifically of their rulership in the age to come, Jesus then goes on to say, yet everyone who's followed me will receive a double-fold or a hundred-fold investment on the world to come. So what can that mean? Well, I'm gonna say a couple of more things. It says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Then Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now think about an heir as somebody who inherits something from their father. And so in this case, we inherit all of the world that God has made. We become joint heirs with Christ. I'm reading here from one Bible teacher who says that the Bible makes it very clear that we will participate in the governance of God, not only of the earth, but over all the works of his hands. That means that everything that rightfully belongs to Christ also rightfully belongs to Christ's followers. That is, we inherit everything that Christ inherits with the exception of his deity. We don't become God. Christ is God overall, forever blessed. We're not. However, all of the works of God's hands are given over to his children so that we reign or govern or rule over all of these things. It means that heaven is not about simply relaxing for all of eternity. There is this governance portion. Well, I began by speaking about politics and how so many of us detest politics, but you know, it seems that there is a politics in the order to come that will be a politics that is devoid of all of the evil that's here in this age. So we need to ask ourselves, can we define practically what it means to rule and reign with Christ? It's so important for us because we ought to be preparing ourselves for the life to come. Indeed, I'm going to say that the life right now is already a preparation for the rulership that we will exhibit in heaven. If the Bible says that we rule and reign with Christ, 
You know, the question now asks, can we get really practical? I mean, what is it that we're supposed to rule over? And what does that actually mean that our activities look like when we get to heaven? Clearly, ruling is what we're going to be doing, but I mean, I don't know how does that look and feel and all of that stuff. So in order to understand that, I think we need to back up and ask ourselves, what did it mean for God to give that very command to Adam in the garden? That is, before sin entered the world, what was it that Adam and Eve were to do? So I'm going all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, God has created the man and the woman, and he, and he gives the very first command, and it says this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, watch this, and subdue it and have dominion, that is, have rulership, or have governance, or have authority over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That is, in some fashion, Adam and Eve were to express rulership. They were to actually, in some fashion, govern and bring order to the creation that God had made. I'm going to say more about that, but that's fascinating to me. Now, we do know that when God calls him to do that, in Genesis 2, verse 19, it says, Now, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So we already know that part of governing is to give names to everything that God has made. Now, that seems fascinating because how does that govern the creation? And yet, when you read through the Bible, it's, it's this, this idea of naming things is always connected with governance. If I could take you ahead to the time when Daniel and his friends were brought in captivity to Babylon, and the king of Babylon wants to exercise authority over all of the nations that he's captured. So Daniel and his friends are among the captives. And one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, does is he calls Daniel and his friends forward and he renames them. And in the Bible, the idea of naming something is a demonstration of authority over that person. And in essence, if I can now backtrack all the way back to Adam and Eve, Adam is called upon to name the animals as a way of showing his authority over them. Now, I might also say that naming is a way of understanding. And in essence, I would say that what we have in Genesis 2 is that Adam is given a scientific enterprise, understand the creation, master what it is that God has made, and learn to work in cooperation with what God has made to begin to exercise human creativity and freedom and transform this, this world without sin into everything that God would want you to do with it. See, I think that's what Adam and Eve had as a task, and I think that's the great unfinished task. That task is still awaiting for us in glory. But I have a number of other things to say about that. Let me take you to the time of Abraham. God has now called Abraham, and he's going to make of him the chosen people. It's, it's a part of God bringing back this chaotic fallen world into order. And in Genesis chapter 12, God gives Abraham three promises. The first promise he says to Abraham is, as you follow me, I'm going to bless you. That is, I will be your God and I will work on your behalf. That's the, the blessing of God in Abraham's life. The second thing is that Abraham is going to become a people. He's going to be a multitude of people, more than can be counted or numbered. And so he's going to become a great nation. And then the third thing that God promises Abraham is that he is going to give him land. 
So as Israel then enters into the promised land, they are entering into a land in which they are to govern. They are to express dominion over that land. So you might look at Israel entering into Canaan as a foretaste of entering into heaven where we are called upon to govern over everything that God has made. Now, one more example. And that comes from the time of Jeremiah. If you don't know your Bible well, Jeremiah was a prophet in Israel who lived just prior to the Babylonians destroying Jerusalem. In fact, in Jeremiah's day, you have to imagine that the Babylonians have already captured most of Israel and only Jerusalem remains a a holdout. It's a a city with, with walls and it's up on a hill, so it's very difficult to defeat. And so God comes to Jeremiah, and let me read to you from Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 6 and 7. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. So your uncle is going to come and say, would you like to buy my property? Which is laughable because after all, the the Babylonian boots are standing on that property. And yet God says to him, I want you to buy it. And then why is he to do that? Well, later on in, in chapter 32, verse 44, it says, Field shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem and the cities of Judah. In other words, the time is coming when people are gonna buy land in this place again, and you're already gonna have a deed to property, you'll have a foothold in this land. Well, what can that mean? Because we know that, you know, that, that uh, this prophet, Jeremiah, died in exile in Egypt. But, but what's interesting here is that God gives him a promise. There'll be land to purchase in the day to come. You will own your own property and rule over it. You remember Luke 19, Jesus said something like this. He said, he who is faithful in much, the faithful servant will be put in charge of 10 cities, he says, and to another over five cities. That language sounds strange to us because we don't think of heaven that way. How are we to govern over cities and who are the people that live in those cities and and what does this rulership actually look like? But at the very least, I've wanted to give a picture. All throughout the Bible, there is a preparation that's coming for a time when those who have been faithful to Christ learn now, who have been faithful in little things, learn now how to exercise their dominion over many things. In other words, the world that we live in now is simply a preparation that's teaching us how to govern the work of God's hands. Wow, there's so much more to say. So you wanna stay with us because I have some wonderful things to say about our activity when we get to heaven. You know, I've sometimes had a discussion with people in which I ask them, listen, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, would there still be need for laws? And a lot of people say, well, of course not, because in their minds, what they think of when they think of laws are those things that are put in place to restrain evil. I mean, we should stop people from murdering. We should stop people from stealing or abusing others. And so we put laws into place that allow fairness to continue But in a world where there was no sin, why would we need laws like that? Well, that's probably true. However, think about this. Let's say if there were no sin in the world, would we still need to tell people which side of the road to drive on, for instance? 
You see, some laws are just about more efficient ways of human beings interacting with one another. And I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about governance in heaven. We make it efficient for human beings to interact with one another. So what can we say about all of this? Well, it's interesting because the reign of Christ is told to us to be a governance in the world to come. Listen to Isaiah 9, verse 7. By the way, that's a passage that we quote regularly around Christmas time. Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That is, the governance of Christ continues to expand, and it's never-ending in its expansion and never-ending in its peace. In other words, it's never overthrown. Well, does that sound strange? Well, I'd like to take you to Daniel 7, 21. It's a time when the saints possess the kingdom, says Daniel. Then later in verse 27, the same chapter, an explanation is given. And let me read it to you. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey them. So a picture is forming, and probably that picture is one of the millennium and not of the final state of believers, but still, it's a picture of us governing over all of the works of God's hands. So let me take you to Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 to 26, and it's about the new heaven and the new earth. John writes, I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. By its light the nations shall walk, now watch this, and the kings of the earth, Oh, this is in the world to come. There are kings of the earth who bring their glory into the city of God, and its gates shall never be shut. There'll be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Now, here's the fascinating thing about the world to come. It's spoken of in terms of nations and in terms of rulers. Now, does that mean that in some way nations and people are being governed? And yes, I think so. I think that's what Jesus was saying. They shall govern over 10 cities or five cities or so forth. Some believers are given greater authority than others in the world to come. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. But there's more to that. Randy Elkhorn was commenting once on the expansion of Christ's government that I've just quoted from Isaiah 9, verse 7. And here's what Elkhorn said. He said, We're called upon as the saints to expand into previously ungoverned territories. And you might say, well, I'm not so sure of what that means. What are these ungoverned territories that we govern over in the world to come? Well, here's a quote from Erwin Lutzer, who for a long time was the pastor of the very famous Moody Bible Church in Chicago. And he said, the discovery of the immensity of the universe does not diminish, but actually magnifies man's role in the cosmos. See, what Lutzer thinks from the passages on governing in the Bible, which seems exactly right, is that the governance that is given to the people of God expands to all that God has made into the far reaches of the cosmos. Now, does that sound like a grand design? How large is the cosmos? 
I mean, it's, it's staggering to think that somehow the increase of Christ's government and we, co-regents of Jesus, expand his rule into all of the cosmos. Well, let me also read to you from, from uh, Dr. Joseph Dillow, who is professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was writing on Psalm verse eight, um, chapter eight, verse six, that God has given man dominion over all the works of his hands, and he says that psalm includes the works of his fingers, that is the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he says the future kingdom embraces the entire created order and that this was placed in subjection to man. I just got a wonderful email from a very dear friend. I haven't even been talking to him about heaven, but he wrote something about a new discovery of a far-off galaxy. And he said, I'm going to check that also off on our list of those things that Christ has called us to govern in the world to come. We are saying with Christ, that belongs to the people of God. Indeed, so shall it be. So I want to end this by, by talking about Christ's words uh, that he gave, and it's recorded in Luke 16, verse 10, and this is what Jesus said. One who is faithful in little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. When we listen to that and when we listen to the words of what is given for us to do in the world to come, we should be able to tie together our present existence to the one who is to come. We are learning now to bring all things in subjection to Christ. We are learning to rule all things as Christ would want us to. As image bearers of Christ, as those who represent Jesus everywhere, we are learning to be faithful to him so that in the world to come, these little things that we're faithful in, and, and even if you're given seemingly much, it just is a little. These little things will be multiplied a hundredfold, and you will be given charge over many things in God's creation. What a joy to know that we're not going to be sitting on a cloud somewhere playing a harp for all of eternity. We're going to be involved in something that involves creation, involves bringing order and God's design, using our creativity as human beings, and then marching these products of our creativity before the throne room of God and laying them before the king and saying, you alone are worthy to receive all glory. What I accomplished in this your new world, I did for your glory. That's the future of the saints. That's why I'm looking forward to heaven. Welcome back to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, uh, an interesting time, an interesting conversation about politics, about governance, about our purpose and responsibilities, actually, we're going to have. We won't be retired in heaven. That's the, that's the key. Is that what you're telling us? Yeah, it is the key. I mean, I think, you know, the idea of meaningful work, work that brings joy and fulfillment. I mean, you know, and I know that, you know, when people drop out of life, I mean, there's something lacking in them. Uh, but God has given us purpose, not in a tedious way, yeah. but in a way that's fulfilling and that bears none of the marks of the fall. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking too, you know, when we think about politics, often we don't think about it fondly. And that's not necessarily fair. There's some wonderful politicians out yeah. there. But there's many other things we think about, you know, that won't be in heaven, this won't be in heaven. But in essence, what we're saying is, uh, you know, heaven's going to be filled with all types of things, but it's going to be as God intended it to be. Yes, it, and, it, and it will allow human beings to be fully human. Yeah. 
you know, to become alive in the things that God has designed us to be. I mean, I don't know, I don't think we're all going to be the same. I think the variety of gifts will be there in heaven. I mean, I would imagine that there will be people writing significant books in heaven. I'll be thinking that people will be building buildings in heaven or creating new technology or a scientific enterprise that seeks to understand the nature of what God has made. I, I think this is all about the human endeavor, but now it's filled with a purpose, and that is to glorify God. Wow, something to look forward yeah. to. So where are we headed next week? Yeah, that one thing that I haven't spoken about, okay. and that is about the various rewards. Great will be your reward. What, why do some of us receive a greater reward in the life to come, and will those of us who receive a lesser reward be sad? I wanna talk about that. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us right here next week on Truth and Life Today.